This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Wiles goes wild in Peoria. Hancock takes the win. And is reality TV really reality? All this and more on this week's Power Sports Podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to the Power Sports Podcast. I am Jason Baffrey and I am joined today by my good friend Eric Colvin of Colvin Motorcycle Company. Good to be here, guys. And we have a special guest in studio, our second official in-studio guest. We are joined by Don Muma of Motive Cycle Works. Thank you very much. We're going to get into some lengthy conversation with Don on uh, some great topics here in just a little bit. But, of course, there was some great racing that went on over the weekend. And, and Don, feel free to jump in here anytime if you feel like it. But if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, we are big fans of the Speedway Grand Prix. And this past weekend was the Swedish Speedway Grand Prix. And Sweden just happens to be the adopted home of American three-time champion Greg Hancock. His wife is Swedish, and he lives over there during the Speedway Grand Prix season. So it was essentially his home race over the weekend. And Greg was able to take the win of the event in, uh, I believe they said this was the 36th time he's raced in Sweden and this is the first time that he's been able to win a race there. And he extends his points lead in the Speedway Grand Prix point standings by 12 points. He now has a 12-point lead over Ty Woffenden. And uh, just a great weekend for Greg Hancock. And we've been uh, he's been riding just so great this entire season, but has yet to pick up his first event win. But now he has it, and he extends his points lead. Those guys were serious, were they not? Did you? They were running each other into the wall. They were some aggressive riding out there yeah absolutely and the the final he just he was behind for most of the way and uh, just made a really great move to take the lead on the last lap and get the win and you you couldn't have asked for a, a better ride from greg hancock and just so cool to see that was an exciting the entire event was was packed with excitement well it's, it's really nice because it's it's quick there's not a lot of waiting around it's quick and it's exciting and it just keeps moving yeah this is true speedway as far as uh entertainment goes it's four laps and it's handlebar to handlebar for for four laps and a lot of the races that we saw there was a lot of lead changes and a lot of close riding and a lot of rubbing and there's a lot of rubbing i mean for being on motorcycles that is Close. That's a, a lot you're of touching for riding. Yes, isn't it? it's not like NASCAR. You know where you got four wheels on the ground and you're there. You're you got two wheels on the ground. Those and then guys, a lot of times they didn't even have two on the ground. This is true. You got somebody <laughs> sideways with a wheel in there, and somebody's trying to get up underneath him. And the guy has got the the bike stood up, crossed up in a power slide, but a broad slide, and he's leaning on the guy that's underneath him. I mean, those those guys was serious in Sweden. Yeah, so it's it'll be interesting to see if Hancock can hold on to this points lead, which he's had for several events now. And at 46 years old, he is the the grandfather of of the sport almost. And you gotta you know, love that. He is. We're the same age, and and I look at him, and I just wish that uh, 
I ate better. <laughs> Took better care of myself. But 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 on the flip side of that, I told my wife, I said, you know, Greg Hancock is still winning races and, and racing these bikes at, at 46. So it's not too late for me to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Use him as use him as the example. Talk uh, your wife I, into I it. I use everything that I can. <laughs> <laughs> so in other racing action this weekend, uh, we talked in last week's show about the Peoria TT, and uh, you, you talked extensively about riding the track at Peoria. But uh, one guy who seems to know how to ride that track better than anybody else around is Henry Wiles, and that's a name that we haven't talked a lot about this year for AMA flat track racing. But Henry Wiles gets the win in the GNC1 category over Jared Meese, and he wins 12 in a row. 12 times in a row he has won the Peoria TT. I believe he has it mastered now. Uh, yeah, he's going to be the, the Chris Carr. He's going to be the new Prince of Peoria is what's going to happen. Well, I think I think by 12 wins in a row. That what What is Carr's record? Do, Carr do you... is, you know, I had to double check because it's been a while since – since I kept up with Carr and since I rode, you know, in the Pro Series itself, but more than twelve, uh, but okay. not not a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, Wiles is somewhere right there. Uh, as young as he is and as good as he is, he's he's going to be the new Prince of Peoria. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it's just a great win for him, and he's a guy that we, like I said, we don't talk about him a lot because he runs uh, mid-pack a lot on the, the flat tracks, on the miles and the, the half miles and everything. But, man, there's just something about Peoria that he has dialed in. It's got to be some kind of uh, – I'm not sure about his background, but the, his style of riding at Peoria is an is a off-road style that a lot of the other guys don't, uh, don't use that same style. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I th- – Whatever he is doing at Peoria is is on right now. Yeah. He's, there, nobody can beat him right now. Yeah. In the GNC2 category, it was Hayden Gillum who took the win, and uh, that was a really exciting race. I mean, probably one of the most exciting races of the season for AMA Pro Flat Track Racing, and that's his first AMA Pro Flat Track win uh, in the GNC2 series, and he's a road racer. He races in the Moto America series. So he was crossing over there, and... Uh, Man, scoring your first win and doing it at Peoria on a with a right turn and a jump that makes it even more exciting. Well, there you go with the uh, with the dirt track influence on the road racers. Uh, dirt track has always been uh, a big help to the guys road racing. Uh, you go back and look at uh, Roberts, for instance, was really influential with him. And then look at the riding style that is now the riding style of all road racers, and that originated with Kenny Roberts. Yeah. Yeah, and we see more and more, and, I, and we've talked about it before, uh, you can see MotoGP riders, uh, Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, a lot of those guys are practicing by going flat track racing, and, and Rossi even has his ranch where he has flat track set up, and he does training for himself and then trains younger riders that he's helping along, and uh, they have a uh, they have DTX bikes, and they go out there, and they slide those things around to get the feel of the bike and uh, have some fun, and it's just a really cool deal. But we don't realize how much flat track influences the riding going on in Europe and around the world. Yeah, and if you look at a lot of the slow-mo of the MotoGP riders, uh if you can get a hold of some of those anywhere, watch it and watch it closely because they slide the motorcycles now more than I've ever seen them slide motorcycles in the past. There was a lot of times that that back tire is almost spinning twice as fast as the front. 
Yeah. If you watch that slow motion of the, the GP. Yeah. And they drift the bike a lot more now than I've ever seen in the past. So other racing that went on this weekend was, of course, the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series. And anybody want to take a guess on who won? Roxon. You guessed it. <laughs> Ken Roxon, once again, with a dominant performance, goes 1-1. And uh, Cooper Webb also had another great day and took the overall win in the 250 category. So uh, it's looking like Roxon's probably going to lock this thing up here pretty soon. Roxon is going to be like DeCoster was back in the day at Suzuki, you know it? Yeah, very possible. Now, I think that, you know, once Dungey comes back from injury, I mean, we'll see him back when the Supercross season starts. We'll probably see him before that at the Monster Energy Cup, I would imagine, if not the Red Bull straight rhythm event yeah. that comes out since he's a Red Bull rider. We'll probably see him there as well. But, uh, I mean, that Dungey and Roxon battle is probably as good as anything in history. And if, if Roxon is going to Honda next year, and I mean, he's on a factory team, which he's on a basically a support team now with the the RCH racing. Uh, you know, they get some Suzuki help, but it's not the full factory effort like the Yoshimura Suzuki team. However, Honda, we know Honda has good bikes. We know that they've had a lot of success in the past. And if Roxon rides at the level that he's riding out now, which there's no reason that he shouldn't, barring injury, Roxon Dungey in Supercross and Outdoor Motocross in 2017 could be one for the ages. Like the Rick Johnson and Jeff Ward deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's certainly great for the sport. And as fans, it's going to be exciting to watch. But, you know, it's obviously good for for those guys. And I mean, they're they're both in incredibly uh, great shape. They're uh, they're mental about their riding, uh, you know, in their approach. They are skilled. And uh, I think it'll just be great to see what happens next year. You always have to like aggressive rivalries, do you not? And, well, yes, you do. And I, I have to think that, I mean, Eli Tomac has now picked up a couple of outdoor wins. Uh, I, he seems to be, based on the interviews that I've read and seen, he's more comfortable with the the Kawasaki. He's more comfortable with that team. So he could easily put himself in the mid. And we know he's fast. I mean, if you saw him on the Honda in 2015, especially those first few outdoor races, Nobody could touch him. I mean, he was just a barn burner. So now that he's getting comfortable with the KX, and uh, I'm excited about what's to come in Supercross and Motocross for those guys. I'm excited to the point to where when you either go to an event or you watch an event, it's like the late 70s or the early 80s where you had no idea. You just knew that there was five or six guys that were capable of winning, and it was anybody's guess as to who would come out on top. And... Let me throw something else in the mix. You'll have Cooper Webb moving up to 450s with a factory Yamaha effort in 2017. And we know he's obviously fast and has a fire in him to win. So, I mean, just those four riders alone, if everybody stays healthy, could mean a really amazing 2017 for Supercross, certainly. And hopefully that carries over into the motocross, too. Like I said, if everybody can stay healthy, and that's the one caveat you always have with those particular series. Yeah, as long as you can keep everybody healthy, it's going to be it's going to be well worth watching. That's yeah. for sure. Should be fun. Well, let's get to uh, to our guest, Don Muma, Motorcycle Works, here with us today. And what we want to talk about is uh, something that I think you, as a listener, will find 
fairly interesting. If you're into cars and motorcycles, as we are, you've probably watched uh, some of the reality TV shows that are on, and there are several of them that involve involve building motorcycles and building cars. And you can think back to the uh, the early shows, even with with Jesse James and West Coast Choppers and. Um, and then you think about the biker build-off shows, and then you have the uh, the Orange County bunch. Orange County Choppers, and you have uh, uh, Counts Customs or Counting Cars or whatever that one is, and then you have the uh, the guys out of Texas, and uh, there's just so many that I can't. Yeah, even, the Gas Monkey Garage. Yeah, the Gas Monkey Garage guys, and you think about overhauling when that was on, and. Uh, I think there was less drama in overhauling than any of those. Yeah, and even though they made up an entire story to, like, you know, fool the person whose car it was going to be, so uh, which is funny now that you think about that. But there's something about those shows that uh, they are a reality, and you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> reality TV, because um, there's really no such thing as, as reality TV unless it's a well, maybe a documentary uh, is is almost reality, but the way reality TV works is uh, it's mostly scripted, and they know exactly what they're going to do, and they compress time, and that's really what we want to get into. Uh, but when you, you watch these shows, they take a car or a motorcycle, and there's always a deadline, and we're always rushing, and we're always working 24 hours a day straight because we have to meet the deadline, and we have an impossible task, and then, of course, something goes wrong. Somebody messed up the paint job, or somebody, you know... Ordered the wrong uh, Yeah, they bent, they bent the crank as they were trying to put it in, or whatever it may be. So it creates this incredible drama that, that always happens. And uh, as somebody that spent some time working in a body shop, and that's me, and uh, you, Eric, have a motorcycle shop, and, and Don, you do custom motorcycles. We're it, not really looking at reality. No, it distorts no. it, doesn't it? it? It distorts it badly, greatly. One of the main things, especially when it comes to motorcycles, cars are a little bit better than motorcycles, but um, just getting parts. If you're going to use parts off the shelf, there's no place you can go you can buy parts off the shelf. You've got a couple of places where you can go buy, like little things, like maybe tires, depending on what you're riding, or um, an exhaust system, possibly depending on what you're riding. Depending on what you're riding, you know. Yeah. But if if you're looking at something that's older, or you're looking at something that's a little bit more exotic, you're waiting. No matter what you do, you're waiting. Yeah, and you had to buy a slot a lot of times. Yeah, and you had to wait until they actually make that, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're waiting on it, and then after it gets to you, a lot of times it doesn't fit right. Oh no, not at all. Well, that would be too much to ask that it would fit when you bought it. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't fit right. So this, so then you're then you're modifying it to fit right, and then after you get it modified to fit right, and you get it to fit right, now you've got to recode it or rechrome it or. Um, replayed it, re-whatever to make it look good because you've cut on it, you've chopped on it, you've moved stuff, you've ground on it, you know, so you, it, it just, it, the, the whole persona of what the television shows show how these guys build these bikes or cars and how long it takes versus the actual reality of how long it takes is vastly different. Well, sure it is. What they say they can do in 
40 hours in reality is probably 140 hours. Yeah. Yeah. If you have if you have all of your parts already and you know they fit, you know they fit and they're on there already and you you've had them all laid out and you have all the bolts and all the hardware laid out where you knew where everything was. This is after the fab work's done. Yeah. And everything was there. And after the teardown and after the rebuild. and Yeah. And you're just assembling. Hey, you know, that that. All right. Hey, we got this. We got this. Yeah, we can do it in 40 hours. I mean, just when we when we did that Sportster the other day, you know, pe- my you know, people don't realize how much time it takes. I we bought parts that were supposed to fit. They were supposed to we bought parts that were supposed to go in there. We had to wait for our parts to get here. The parts got here, and then if you if you look at the our um Instagram, you'll see when I clayed the piston, the valve was touching the piston. Yeah, we had to do a lot of cylinder head work on that one. Yeah, we, we had to do a lot of cylinder head work just to make it work. And these are parts that say, come out of the box and say, you're ready to go. Or they bring you a how many How many customers have you had that bring you a picture that they found somewhere, okay, and either in media that they've printed or a magazine, and they say, I want this bike, and you say, okay, so you run up a bid for the bike, and then they want to get upset about the time frame because – in the magazine or in the download, they've said, oh, well, it took a fourth of the amount of time that you want to do in the reality of what it takes to make this bike that they like. They say, oh, well, I found, you know, information on this build and it was like, you know, half that long or only a fourth that long. How, how, how often do you run into that? I run into that all the time. I run into it all the time where people bring me pictures and say, I want a bike like this. And then when they... I run, I run into, they say they want a bike like this, and then when they find out how much it's going to cost, they're like, well, that's more than a new bike. And I'm like, yeah, you're getting a hand-built bike for you. It, I get that all the time. And then when they find out how long it'll take, they're like, well, I wanted to ride it, you know, in two weeks. I'm like, well, if you want to ride it in two weeks, you better come up with a lot more money than that because <laughs> I'll have to work around the clock and I'll have to get everything air freighted to me immediately. And, you know, and that's just the way it is. You know, and they have they have no no idea of what it really takes. You know, and, and I my shop constantly loses time from what I bill somebody to what it actually takes the text to 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 do it. I'm constantly losing time. There's there's no way around it because you you can't you you can you can tune just a simple tune up on a bike depending on what bike it is. Um, we can use like a, a newer uh, ZX10. We do a newer ZX10, not, not new enough that it's got fuel injection, but newer that it's it's a newer one, but it's still got carburation. If you tune it, you could spend an entire two days just tuning a bike because of how many times you have to take an air box off, how many times you have to take covers off, how many times you have to take a gas tank off to get to the carburetors to change out the jets and then put it back together and then go run it again to see how it is on those jets and then take it all back apart. You know, and you, you can't charge somebody two days worth of work for tuning a bike. I mean, I guess you could, but you're not going to have very many customers because customers are not going to want to spend, uh, you know, $1,500 to have their bike tuned up. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of dyno time, uh, we sacrifice a lot of, of dyno time. Uh, actually, you and I have sacrificed a lot of dyno time, even with uh, injected bikes, uh, yeah. especially when people pre-purchase uh, items that 
are not really catered to the engine package and the performance package that they have. They've read a blog somewhere, something, and it says, oh, you need to have this or you have this exhaust system, and it's it's not a good system, or this airbox mod, and it looks like a beaver with scurvy has attacked the thing. Yeah. Oh, that Well, that happened not too long ago with the, the Moto Guzzi. We, we had that Moto Guzzi in there. He had that custom exhaust built for his bike. He had somebody else do it, you know, and, and then he um, – then he put the the uh, Power Commander 5 system on it. Power Commander 5 system is supposed to be really easy. You're supposed to just plug that in, and you'll be able to load up fuel maps, and you're ready to go. And then I think we spent close to six or eight hours. Yeah, to be- fix it. To fix it. Yeah, on the dyno. Six to eight hours on the dyno, dyno time. Spinning it up, shutting it down. Spinning it up, shutting it down. Modifying this, modifying that on the fuel map. I basically, when, when that all ended up i had basically written an entirely new fuel map once you and i were completed done with it it was nothing like it was when it started out and that was the fuel map they said yep that's what you need yeah there's a lot of misconception that people download uh on the web or they read in blogs uh how how often do you deal with that with customers a daily basis weekly basis probably at least weekly and and then their information they get from the blogs is Sometimes so wrong, especially when I'm the one looking at the bike. I had I had a customer in there real not too long ago um, who had a transmission problem in his R series BMW, and it, it was making a, a rattling noise. And everybody on the blogs told him, "Oh, there's a spring that is on the input shaft inside the transmission, and that spring's probably broken, and so it lets stuff rattle around in there." So I took the bike bike we took the transmission out we broke the transmission down and the output shaft bearing was completely destroyed in the transmission so everything in the transmission was rattling around and and it was and it had it had what looked like valve lapping compound in the transmission because there was so much metal just floating around in the fluid and i told him this i'm like you you need a transmission you know, and then he calls me back the next day and he says, well, I was on the blogs and I was talking to some of the guys and they said, no, I don't need a transmission. And I'm like, they don't, they did not even look at your transmission. They have no idea what's wrong with your transmission. I'm telling you, it looks like valve lapping compound in here. All, everything in your transmission is ruined. And he's like, well, you know, I thought maybe we could just put that bearing in it and put a new seal in it and clean it out and we'll be fine. I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm like I will do that, but you're signing a big old waiver that says you're doing this against my right against your expertise and your so, your recommendations. Yeah. And- so when you drive away and it completely has catastrophic failure in less than a thousand miles, you're not coming back to me and trying to blame me for it. Right. How many times do you have a customer come in? Uh, I, I get it a lot, and they've read somewhere that it should only take 45 minutes to do this, or it only takes an hour to do this, or uh, there's several people that brag that they can do it in 20 minutes, and it's actually like a several-hour job to do it properly. Yes, I, I, I get that. I get that a lot. I get a lot of people. I, I actually the, – the good thing about it, though, is is I get a, I have a lot of customers now who strictly come back to me because they have – they have I got my little waiting room where you could wait if you want to, and you're basically out in the shop so you can see what's going on. And they will come back to me time and time again because when I change a tire, I'll change a tire. You know, a tire change is only supposed to take, 
depending on the bike, maybe 20 to 40 minutes, depending on the bike. But I'll pull the I'll pull the axle out. I'll make sure the axle is perfectly clean. I will go over and polish it if it needs to. When we're doing brakes, we pull out all the pins and we clean them all. We polish them all. We re-grease them. Most shops don't do that. No, they don't. And a lot of times we get motorcycles in, in my shop where you literally have to beat the axles out of them. Nobody's yes. put any anti-seize back on the axle or even a, a small amount of grease or anything when they put it back together. Yeah, well, that's that's the whole thing with the dealerships. Why the dealerships only go back, depending on the dealership, 7 to 11 years. I don't know of any dealership that really works on anything over 11 years. Most of them are 7 to 11 years. And they always say it's because of tooling. Well, because the newer bikes don't use the same tooling, and we've, we've switched out the specialty tooling. And that's it's not true. The reason is is because all that stuff gets seized up in those older bikes, and it takes longer. So they lose time. Yeah, and how many times have you pulled an axle out of a bike and the bearings are junk? The wheel hasn't been off of this motorcycle in a decade. I, I've pulled, I've had a couple Harley Davidsons come in my shop that the actual tire itself was seized to the rim to the point we had to use a grinder to get the tire off it the had rim, grown to the rim because it had grown, it had it had corroded to the rim so badly. Was it like an alloy wheel or one of the chrome wheels? The chrome ones. One the, of the chrome ones. One of the chrome metal ones. Yeah. Oh, so where it the rust gotten in there and then it had all eaten itself together, and it just you you have to take a grinder. Those are always a mess, aren't they? Yeah. So let's back up just a well, maybe not back up, but just for the for those of you that are listening, and we talked on last week's show about custom motorcycles, and we're talking about kind of how the reality shows distort reality. But let's, Don, uh, walk through the process. If somebody wanted a custom motorcycle, what does that process look like? I mean, when somebody shows up to you and says, I want a custom bike, and then in reality, what what are we looking at for like full timeline? Okay. Um, if they have a motorcycle that they're starting with, and they want a custom motorcycle built out of this motorcycle. You have to pretty well expect that the motorcycle is going to be completely torn down and then completely built again at least six times. It's going to be at least six times. And it's because of all the different aspects that you're modifying and you're changing on it. And then after you get all those done, just like um, you're changing out the exhaust, okay? So we we put you, you we figure out the exhaust you want on it, which could take a little bit of time right there. If they offer an exhaust system. Yes, if they offer an exhaust system. You don't system have to it. make the exhaust system. I make a lot of exhaust systems in, in-house. Yeah, both of us, I think, do. Uh, because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of older bikes that they don't have exhaust systems for and so you have to make the exhaust system and then after you get to make made the exhaust system you're going to have to figure out how you're mounting it to the bike whether the motor's engine or whether the engine is um rubber mounted or solid mounted and then that's going to depict how you do your your mounts um so so that right there could take a lot of time um if you want to move the battery I get a lot of guys that want to move the batteries they like the whole cafe racer sleek look where you can look through the bike sure um, so we're going to have to move the battery. So once we move the battery, we're going to have to figure out where we want it. And then after we get it moved to that point and we get the wiring all changed, you have to make your mounts. You're going to tear the bike down to make your mounts because you have to get rid of all that stuff before you can weld on it because you can't weld on the bike with all those all that stuff on it because you'll burn it up. So you have to remove everything. You have to make that, get that welded up, and then you're going to have to run your wiring back through it. And then after you get that done, now you're going to have to remove all the tabs from all the original stuff. 
And so after you get that stuff done, well, then you're going to go on to another part of the bike, depending on what you're doing with the gas tank or what you're going to do with the front forks or what you're going to do with the gauges. You're going to have to tear that all stuff apart and get it fixed. And then once you get all of those different teardowns and different builds put together and you get it all done, now you have to completely tear the entire bike down so that you can finish the frame the way the frame needs to be finished. Because you're not going to want to just go through there with a piece of cardboard and stick it behind something and then spray paint it with a rattle can. Yeah, if we're going to powder coat it or... Yeah, we're going to powder coat it. We're going to give it a nice paint job. And then and then that doesn't nearly take, you know, you, you then you have to start taking into account um, body work time. And you've been in a body shop. You know that sometimes body work time takes a long time. Yes, it does. Compressing the time like they do, and I understand, again, fitting it into a one-hour TV show so you can have a different car or a different bike per show, but... I mean, the misconceptions that get put out from this, uh, it just it, it's crazy that it that it happens like it, this. it does happen. The only one that I have that I have noticed that actually addresses that was I don't know. Uh, I have a lot of people that don't like them and a lot of people that do like them. But uh, Phantom Works, the television show Phantom Works. Yeah, because I've seen that a couple of times. And, when, you know, they usually only do one show or they do they do one car per show. But then they a lot of times they'll go in and they'll they'll talk to the owner about it and they'll, he'll have the bill. There's been a couple of cars that he did that the hours were like 620, yeah. 620 hours, you know? And if, you know, and, and that's, that's what he does. You know, sometimes they're in the 180 hours. Sometimes they're in the, you know, 400 hours depending. But I, I, I got one of the cars that they did was up to, it was 620 some hours, you know? And, that's fine and all if you've got a crew of 40 people working on the working on the vehicle but if you're a smaller shop and you've got one guy working on it here and one guy working on it here and an 80 to 120 hour build takes time and that doesn't include um, a lot of the the the, lo- the time loss parts of the build that you don't really think about you know and that that like wait just waiting on parts um, is, is a simple time loss thing. Um, getting prepped to work on it as far as like your tools and the, the shop itself and making sure the shop's clean. You know, you have a, you have a lot of other things where the shop loses time. People are upset about how much shop time costs because they're like, well, you know, there's no reason that shop time should be $72 an hour, you know, but yeah, because we're not getting paid $72 an hour when your car gets there until your car leaves. We're getting paid seventy-two dollars an hour when we're working on your car, and that doesn't—that does not include all the equipment, the even just like the rent or the utilities of the shop. That that has to cover those other things like keeping the shop clean and keeping stuff on the shelves and keeping those kinds of things done. You know, it's just it's it's really crazy how how fast they show some of these bikes being built or these cars being built and all the drama they filled and, and and that's that's just it they're getting their their credits or they're getting they're 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 after the drama and they're after the speed so that it, it's constantly moving because our society is in the want it now society yeah we are definitely a fast food society a lot of people don't realize the amount of time and effort it takes to actually source these parts uh let's let's choose let's just choose engine work right and we're going to talk about buying pistons and we're going to talk about buying camshafts and we're going to talk about buying valves and valve springs the amount of time it takes to sit down and to call 
if it's a Harley Davidson, you were mentioning a Sportster earlier. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you talk to Andrews, and so you're going to buy those cams, and maybe we need to talk to Kibble White to buy some valves or some valve guides. Um, there's how much time do you think it takes in non-billable hours that you spend on the phone talking to technicians and ordering parts and uh, looking up parts from whoever you're a dealer for? I would say that close, I probably average four hours a day. Yeah, I would say at least, I do at least four hours a day. It's at least four hours a day. And that's four non-billable hours. Yes, four non-billable hours a day. And that's that's not, and, and I, I would average that because some days I get lucky and I'm only on the phone shortly. But other days, I have spent days, there's been days where I've went into work thinking, oh, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to get this done, and I'm going to get this done. And then I don't even bill one hour, not even one hour, because my entire day is spent on the phone. Like, just like that, that Sportster, when we were talking about that Sportster, when we, when we decided on the pistons we were going to use on that Sportster, it took four days of figuring out what piston the manufacturer, the compression ratio, the size. It took four days just to figure out that piston. And then we get the piston because it's supposed to work. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't work with the valves that you get. It doesn't work with the cam that you get. There's not the proper valve clearance. Yes. And so we have to go in and we have to change that, right? Yeah. That was p- part of part of that decision. Part and of that four-day decision was it's going to this is this is the piston for us and but they then don't we get cover it. that on reality shows unless they make it look like that they fixed it in well we fixed it over the commercial break mm-hmm. yeah and so you have customers that come in and say well they fixed it in a commercial break so what seems to be your hold up yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so do you get a lot of uh, especially with the the generation now and you're seeing young uh, younger people uh, get involved in custom motorcycles and that sort of thing I mean how is that affecting your business it's not bad the the good thing about my business is we do a lot of uh, cafe racers and a lot of older Japanese and older European bikes so there's really not a lot of places in town to go yeah. You know, if you're not driving a Harley, you know, if you're driving a Harley Davidson, you've got, you can well, turn any corner and you find a shop. But with what we do, it's a little bit older. The bad thing about what we do is this, this whole um, institution on the, the internet about, oh, you know, these garage builds and everything means that what normally happens is a guy buys the, buys the motorcycle. He decides, I'm going to make a cafe racer. I saw it on the internet. And he goes and he starts building a cafe racer. And then six months after he started, he realizes I'm in over my head. And then he brings it to me as this big jumbled mess. Right. And then is upset about the cost it takes to fix his And mess. then he's upset <laughs> yeah, about the cost of us it have takes. Been in that situation yeah. many times. Yeah. I, get that, I get that often. I had um, uh, my girlfriend, she works at a, a bank, and one of the security guards was talking about a CB550 that one of his friends has, and they sold the bike. They sold the bike because they, the wiring harness was bad on it, and they took it to the Honda dealership, and the Honda said, oh, you can't rewire those. And they, and they just took that as gospel. So they just sold the bike. And I'm like, 
no, you can like, and then, and then you get this misconception. Well, you can't do that. And yeah, you can do just about everything. It's just that there's, there's a lot of misconception out of there and misconception out there. And there's a lot of problems with how easy everybody seems to think it is because they've seen it on the internet. They've seen it on TV. So this is easy until they start doing it. And then once they start doing it, they realize this isn't easy. And then they take, bring it to me, and now they're upset about how much money they're spending to fix it. Well, the one thing that we run into a lot, I think you run into and I run into also, is the fact that they may have taken something several different places. Okay? Yes. And I run into that a lot. It has progressively gone downhill every time it's gone somewhere else. Yes. So they've spent money in other places, and they come to you, okay, and you fix their problem. Then it's like you should cut them slack or you should do your job for less because they've already spent their money elsewhere making other poor decisions. You know, and that happens a lot. And I feel for these people. And I actually do. There's been quite a few jobs where I've given them a discount, not a crazy discount, but I've given them a discount just because I felt bad because, you know, it's some younger guy. He's getting into motorcycles. He's all happy and excited about it. And then the next thing you know, he's just gotten screwed over and screwed over and screwed over and screwed over and screwed over until his bike is just this enormous mess. Yes. And then we have to fix it. You know, and he's up. He's he's not upset at us. He's upset at himself. I had a I had a customer, which luckily he was a great guy. He had a CB350. And he bought it from a builder in Pennsylvania. And like this guy was like, he's like, man, I did my research. This thing is great. This thing is awesome. He bought it. He had some problems with it. He took it to uh, a, a motorcycle shop in Lawton. He's from Lawton. Took it to a motorcycle shop in Lawton. And then he said he picked it up from them. And when he started driving it, he got it into third gear. And that was it. It was, it was done. He's like, I can't get it out of third gear. Can't get it in, can't get it out of third gear, going up or going down or anything. He brought it to my shop, and I found out that the, the shop he took to was replacing a seal in it and replacing a kicker uh, shaft in it, which you have to break the cases. They had put his shift drum 180 degrees out. So he was that was messed up. So he, when he had it with me, we fixed some other problems. His head gasket was leaking. A shop. His head gasket was leaking because a shop had put his exhaust on the bike, a supposedly competent builder shop, and they had bolted his exhaust to his swing arm. So his exhaust oh was sitting gosh. there cranking on the head oh, anytime Lord. he drove it. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, you're going to leak a head gasket because you've got this huge We're lever cranking. We're trying to pry the cylinder head off of it. Yeah. And, and so we fixed that. And then he wanted to do, he decided he wanted to do some other work. So in the process of doing the other work, he wanted to clean up the frame and stuff. We, um, we were cleaning up some tabs off the frame and I thought this kind of looked funny. So I dug into it and they had reinforced the frame of a motorcycle with Bondo. Mm. All right. That the, sounds uh, not quite so safe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm like, holy cow, you know, and uh, they had used for, for the rear frame loop, they had used galvanized tubing from a fence, like galvanized fence tubing as the frame tube on this motorcycle. Well, they needed some material, you know, and they were tearing down a fence. So. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. It was there. You know, and I'm like, and this is supposedly coming from a... A, a reputable a, builder. A, a builder. Wow. It's amazing that uh, that there are people out there that are 
doing business like that for one thing, but I mean, we're talking about some real safety issues on a motorcycle. Yeah, I was like, this thing could collapse going around the corner because it was the cross cross member in the frame where the rear suspension bolted up. Well, you know, you see a lot with rat rods where in the shows they're going through a they're going through like a, a metal salvage yard and they come up with some kind of wrought iron this or they some come up with some kind of rusty deal there and then they put it in and it's supposed to be cool. And I, I don't understand where the cool comes from uh, with coming up with a lot of literal scrap iron stuff. Yeah, like to put on it. Well, everybody's got their own their own thing. What they think is is cool and interesting, or you know, and the, and there's a way of you know looking at that where that's the way that they build hot rods in the in the fifties, what using whatever they could and that sort of thing. And I think rat rods are cool, but I mean we're we're still talking about four wheels touching the ground and not just two. And we're hopefully you know if you're building a rat rod that you're not using those those types of parts in a structural integrity portion exactly. of the car right uh, yeah. if it's an accessory if it's an accent then you know whatever is your yeah, flavor if you're, if you're going to use a fender off of an old freaking ford that's all rusted up and you want to stick it on there put it on fender on your bike hey that's fine yeah that's, it might if, fall off driving down the road right. but if it does fall off it's behind you yeah yeah. yeah, but when they try and use it as a integral part of the chassis in and of itself, that's 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 out there. You know, yeah, yeah, and I felt so sorry for this guy, and I get those guys all the time where he's he's done his homework, he's like, this is the thing for me. He buys it, and then you find out that just and he that was that was three shops. He bought it from the guy in Pennsylvania. He got it here, and then he took it to another shop, and then they messed it up, and then he brought it to me. You know, and I, I have no idea how much money he's got invested in it now. Yeah, well, sometimes you uh, you unfortunately get into those money pits, and uh, you know, and I think that just goes to uh, you want to do your research when you are looking for a shop uh, or a builder or a customizer. Um, you want to talk to people who have been there before. You want to check out the quality of their work, and you want to do your homework and know what you're getting yourself into, not only because it's a financial investment, but it's also a safety investment. You're putting your life in their hands, especially if you're messing with anything that involves the the structure or the chassis or anything like that with the way the motorcycle rides and handles. Uh, there's a lot that can go wrong in those situations, especially if you have people that are, you know, um, shoring up a chassis with Bondo or... <laughs> Or fence parts. What about suspension-wise? What kind of – I mean, I myself have seen a lot of homie boy stuff done with forks and with shocks. Oh, you see that stuff all the time. Like, you know, I I have seen a couple of the dudes that did the whole shimming with a beer can, you know. What is up with that and where did that come from with – okay, so the sport bikes. They're going to lower the sport bikes, okay? And the tubes are tapered. Tubes are almost always tapered on the sport bikes, the inverted forks. Yeah, and so they want to push the forks up through the triple clamp so the bike sits lower because everybody wants to slam them on the ground. Well, the problem is is that they've hourglassed these fork tubes, Mm -hmm. right? The actual, the body, the inverted bodies. The inverted bodies are almost always. Yeah, so so then tell us what you you found. You know, uh, I I actually, there's been a couple where I found where they've just used, uh, I think, I remember it being, if I remember right, it was a Pabst Blue Ribbon <laughs> on one side. So they didn't drink the good stuff. Well, and, and but a, that's the hipster beer. Yeah, oh, okay. and, and, a, okay. and a Sprite 
a sprite can. A sprite can. Was on it the, other the chaser? Side. You know, and 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 they'll just take them and they'll they'll cut them up so they got these big strips and then they'll fold them over to get as much thickness as they need and then they'll just wrap that around there and then they'll tighten it up and they'll just use that as a shim and I'm like. That's the front end on your motorcycle. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I'm like, that's, you got two wheels. And, and the worst thing is they're doing these on sport bikes. Yeah. A bike who, a bike that 160 could, mile an yeah, hour motorcycle. A, a bike that could legitimately run 150, 160 miles an hour. And you know that if they're shoring up their suspension with a beer can, they're actually going out and trying to run it 160 miles an hour down the highway. Well, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know how many, how many, how many listeners have, uh, you know, have actually ran at those kinds of speeds. I've ran at those kinds of speeds. And when you get to those kinds of speeds, the littlest bumps yeah. feel like potholes. Yes, they do. Yeah, you they can upset will, a motorcycle very easily. They will rattle your teeth sometimes if you get on the wrong stretch of road. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, and and you know, it's just amazing to me. I've had I've seen them where um uh, I had a I had a motorcycle come in that uh, had no bearings. No bearings in the neck. None. No steering head bearings at all. No steering head bearings at all. They how had, did it turn? Well, that's what they they had they had taken two plates of steel from. I'm not even. I have no idea what they were from. I don't know what they're from. And they had just stuck them in there where the bearings go, and it turned. But I noticed that when I came in because I came in the shop and I turned it and I thought it felt funky. But when I pressed on the front brake, the entire front suspension went kunk and moved about two inches in. And oh, then when so you the, released it, it went... So the frame and the forks moved independent of each other in the steering head stem itself. Yeah. Like the steering bearings were loose. Right. Only it had no bearings. It had no bearings. So I'm like, <laughs> well, we need to take a look at these bearings. And I pulled it apart. I'm like, there's no bearings in this thing. None. Uh, I had a I had a guy not too long ago who brought in his um, uh, ZX-7. And he was wanted me to look at the chain because he thought the chain was going bad. So I looked at the chain. I grabbed a hold of his... I, when I went to look at the chain, I just leaned down and, and touched his rear sprocket, and his rear sprocket rotated about three quarters of an inch to an inch without the tire rotating. Somebody had put the bike together without the cush drives in the bike. So for all of our listeners that may not know what that is, there is a carrier in the rear wheel of a motorcycle, okay? And there are these rubber inserts that are a damper for the rear sprocket for the for the vibrate is supposed to help with the vibration and the acceleration and things of that nature. And without that, you have huge amounts of play, massive through acceleration. And de- I bet that was horrendous on decel when you shut the yeah. throttle off. When you shut the throttle off, it's got, it had to just like lurch and like just jerk you all over the place. But yeah, you could just sit there and you could just go clunk clunk back and forth. And I'm like, there's there's no no cush drives in this at all. So how many customers have you had? be upset because either they themselves tried to do something that they've seen on on youtube or a blog or something or a buddy down the street is done uh to it uh and then they try and justify well i saw it on the web so it has to be true you you can't this can't be right uh what you want to do can't be right because it's not what they say to do on the web yeah that happens quite often i don't know how many times uh uh i've had like Mm, as far as front suspension, I'm not. I'm not even sure. I wouldn't even want to guesstimate. But I don't know how many people thought. Well, you know, instead of buying new springs for my front forks, I'll just take a piece of PVC pipe 
cut it and then put it in there and then that'll give me my you know preload you know i tell you what when you buy an actual spring kit a lot of times you know you would know as well as i do that they may send a piece of very thick wall pvc pipe for very small amounts of preload yes but that is for a given spring kit for this motorcycle correct it's not trying to take a set of tired sacked out springs and let's pack it full of water pipe to make the bike have a ride height again no and then on top of that on top of that they'll 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 buy some pvc pipe at like home depot or Lowe's or someplace that's not thick walled and they're putting it in there and it's mushrooming out and then they're making it six inches long you know it's no part of that is good no so in the scheme of things although although the the media has brought in a lot of light to our industry in a positive manner it is also sort of with the reality stuff has sort of distorted what the actual reality and time frame is on what needs to be done yeah it has distorted it badly okay so if somebody is looking to have work done on their motorcycle whether it be full custom or they just need to take care of some of the issues that you guys have talked about uh, what do you think is the best way to research that because we've talked about some of the blogs and the message boards and you can get misinformation in a variety of places but what would be the process that somebody would need to go through if they have a bike and they need to get some work done well, I, I would try to find people at, at, at local places that have had their bike. Find a bike you like. That's the best way. Find a bike you like and then find out where they get their work done and how happy they are with their mechanic. And if it's a particular product, go to that manufacturer's website, call that manufacturer, and, and find out who find out the information behind it. Find out who their dealers are. Yeah, who who they know who they recommend locally to to work on your stuff. Okay, great. Well, Don Muma, thanks for taking time out to join us on the Power Sports Podcast. Don's shop is Motive Cycle Works in Edmond, Oklahoma. And how can people find you, Don? Uh, what well, we're on the internet uh, as Motive Cycle Works. We're on uh, Instagram as Motive Cycle Works. We're on Facebook as Motive Cycle Works. And then we are located just north of um, the uh, Wilshire Gun Range off of Wilshire and Classen. Okay, very good. So, and if you're not from Oklahoma City, I'm sure uh, Don will do work for out of towners too. So I just come on, on come on to the city, check out his <laughs> his website, Motive Cycle Works, and uh, Google it if you need to, and do whatever you need to do. Don, thanks for coming in. Uh, some great information from you and Eric today and hopefully that uh, you listening out there you've learned a little bit of something and uh, at least learned that reality TV is not quite real and there are good and bad ways to fix your motorcycle we <laughs> appreciate you listening to the power sports podcast don't forget you can find us at oklahomatalking.co that's the Oklahoma Talking Company you can also like our page on Facebook just search Power Sports Podcast that's facebook.com slash Power Sports Podcast you can find us on Twitter at Power Sports Talk on Twitter we are also on Instagram as Power Sports Podcast and we are happy to announce that we are now available not only on iTunes and the Oklahoma Talking Company but we are now available on Stitcher Radio also And so if you have the Stitcher app on your smartphone, you can find us. 
it may look a little weird on there, but just search for Power Sports Podcast. But we have some other Oklahoma Talking Company content that comes up there as well. But you can listen to all of the Power Sports Podcasts on Stitcher Radio. So go check it out. And we, once again, appreciate you listening. We are out of here.